All right. It is November 21st when we're recording, and this is going to come out November 22nd. Right. Do you have your Christmas decorations up yet or any holiday decorations up for any winter holiday? Wait, are you kidding me? Are you just trying to punk me right now? No, I'm legitimately wondering. I don't celebrate much of anything i'm kind of a grinch to be honest oh i think we've had this talk before i mean we had a whole christmas special episode it seemed pretty festive well i celebrate by watching the he-man and she-ra christmas special and then the community christmas where abed sees everything is animated that's all i do and i have a christmas with the joker action figure from batman the animated series and he comes with a little christmas tree that's literally the extent of my christmas decorating well i'm sort of burying the lead because i wasn't actually asking for your sake i wanted to <laughs> No, I wanted to ask the more politically politically charged question about the war on Christmas. Uh, Oh, I... Do you think it's too early for other people who do celebrate? Um, yeah. Okay, I'm glad you're saying this, and I think you're saying it because we talked about it on your Facebook wall. Didn't we decide culturally that Christmas season starts on Black Friday, right? And yet this year, all of a sudden, everyone's like, oh, it's November 1st. I can listen to terrible Christmas music, and... I don't know. Companies can sell me on the holiday spirit. I saw like Capital One commercials with Christmas carols on like October 28th. I noticed because it made me mad. Right. I mean, I think I am having this conversation because I'm still seething over my Facebook post 20 days ago. But to be fair, 20 days have passed. And I feel if you're going to be in the spirit, it's a little more reasonable now than it was on November 1st when Light FM turned on its all day Christmas carols. I agree with you. Am I wrong? And Because every time I tell that to a friend, they're like, just let people have their Christmas cheer. And I'm like, but is it cheer or is it companies trying to avoid an impending recession by making us spend money now? Right. Well, we had a lot of people uh, say on my Facebook wall that the Christmas coming early has a lot to do with the boomer generation and the fact that all of the big Christmas carols are from their childhood. So we're reliving boomer childhoods. And I think there's some validity to that. I would totally listen to a Christmas radio station that was multicultural, multilingual, taught me about winter traditions around the world. But no, it's just the same like 11 boomer songs. Christmas music is roundly like disgusting and probably the worst song ever written is wonderful christmas time by paul (laughs) mccartney i agree with you because like my favorite christmas music is like the phil specter christmas album which is like mostly r&b artists of color unfortunately also produced by phil specter so that's a little bit of a weird one but it's like really good music my favorite christmas carol from recent history was the collaboration that lil john did with the kool-aid man and i hope you can find it to be our theme song (laughs) The Kool-Aid Man? Yes, the mascot, the Kool-Aid Man. You haven't heard this? I like how we're talking about, oh, like, I'm suspicious of corporations forcing (laughs) holiday cheer. And you're like, this embodiment of a soft drink sang to me, and I liked it. So anyway, that's definitely our theme song. Here we go. I can't wait for you to find out about this. It's the best day. It's such a treat. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's that time of year again. Kool-Aid man, you ready for Christmas? Oh yeah. Yeah. All I really want, really want for Christmas. All I really want, really want for Christmas. All I really want, really want for Christmas. It's everything on my list, baby. Hey. Hi everybody, welcome back to Shira Progressive of Power for another week. I'm Eric. And I'm Lauren. And hopefully no more Kool-Aid Man songs. <laughs> 
will be heard. I usually try to pick an opening song sung by women that could like maybe in another universe be the theme song to this show because we know how I feel about the actual theme song. But uh, today we're getting uh, Kool-Aid Man and Lil John. I think that, well, this is totally in keeping with last year. You were like, I think my favorite record was the one Shaggy did with Sting. <laughs> Just like bizarre collaborations featuring like early 2000s R&B artists seems to really be You found your my wheelhouse. wheelhouse. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, why don't we talk about Shira? I guess. But on the way to do that, why don't we talk to our guest? Yes, uh, I was saying off mic that we for the first time in a while have an in-studio guest. Yeah, uh this person's not calling in from California. Actually, have you ever been to California? I have, actually. Okay, so, so yeah. she's been she's to qualified. We know that she yeah, she can imagine what people calling in from California might be thinking and feeling, but she's actually in our studio. Everybody, please welcome to the show. I was going to say the stage cuz that's like old training. Everybody, <laughs> please welcome to the show. Oh no. Jenny. <laughs> Everybody, please welcome to the show, Ginny Loveday. Woo! Woo! Now, Ginny is a friend of mine that I, I know mostly through the world of uh, Dungeons & Dragons, which is something I understand quite a few of our listeners and show creators, in fact, yeah. are really enamored with. So, Ginny, what, did you not have something come out this week, even? I did, actually. Um, I just finished a project and it released in conjunction with the new Eberron book that dropped. Um, it's on the DMs Guild um, online kind of uh, marketplace where you could buy modules and digital versions of the D- D&D 5e stuff. Um, it's called the Demon Waste Compendium and I submitted a little section in there about Broken Stone with some background information, history, and a short little encounter that you can run to kind of set the tone for that particular location in the Demon Waste, which are kind of a really interesting area. I just had to do some super fast Googling to make sure that the city in the episode today was Elberon and not Eberron. Is that a thing? Yeah. yeah. So do you remember, we talked about it, the event we did with um, Together Studios, the uh, Adventure Zone playtest. So Keith Baker, who is one of the co-founders of Together Studios, created this D&D world that Jenny has contributed to. This is actually my second contribution to it, and Keith is absolutely amazing and was on my podcast talking oh, about Oh, it's Eberron. a small world after all. Wow, Keith's never come on she Progressive of Power. I know, and we talk to them on Twitter kind of frequently. I'm a little jealous now. Come probably on, twist his arm. <laughs> yeah, actually, he likes me quite a bit. Jenny, what is your podcast about? Um, my podcast, which we really need to record a new episode of, is um, about Dungeons and Dragons news, like the general goings on in the world and new releases and events and happenings and rules changes and the general drama. Because nobody likes anything more than drama. <laughs> Where is your favorite vendor or vendors from which to get real sweet looking dice? Oh, oh, God. Um, hmm. Asking the hard question. If you don't have, I know, I know, right? Um, so my most recent acquisition of dice that I absolutely love were from Studio Sixty Six. They're these layered rainbow dice. Um, I am a huge fan, of course, of the tried and true Chessex because when they set up a booth at a convention, I can get all of the dice that I don't need. All of them. <laughs> By the pound is the best way to buy dice, <laughs> IMO. 
you, you, know, you know the best way to buy dice is to get someone else to buy them for you. Hmm. That's true. And the holidays, like it or not, are coming up. I heard that from Kool-Aid, Girl. man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so just to to compare, because we had a guest on from a D&D actual play podcast a couple seasons ago. Uh, and, and, and she talked about, like, what role-playing kind of has done for her uh, – like personally and socially, which I think uh, a, a lot of like was the point of that message of the Shira episode where they all kind of role play. Uh, do you feel kind of similarly? Like, how has role playing influenced your life and, and your career? Oh, God. Uh, Paige and I took a whole episode to talk about this, so I'll try to condense it. <laughs> Please try. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm pretty much so. Um, role playing and DD specifically uh, have had a major impact on my life. All of my best friends now and my entire support network and actually almost literally every person I associate with plays D&D or some other form of role play game. And um, they've been there for me through like the most pivotal times in my life, like growing up, college, marriage, divorce. And it's I mean, that's my family. So. I saw a meme literally today that said, um, I'm really excited to retire because I just realized that in all the retirement homes, what right now is bridge night or like bingo night is going to be <laughs> D&D night. And I'm so ready for that. I'm so ready to be an old lady just playing D&D with other old ladies. The best part about that is in a retirement home, you know everyone's going to be available on the same night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's those, true. Those campaigns are going to clip along. You um, remove the obstacle of scheduling, which yeah, is the I'm worst part. I'm trying to schedule a group of I don't know, maybe three people, three to five, probably will be three people to do the Rick and Morty uh, box set. And, um, well, I can get one at a time. I really want to play Lasers and Feelings because the McElroys have played that one a couple of times. It's the game inspired by the double clicks. And I really want to play Chuck Tingle's new tabletop game. Oh, my God. I'm so excited to play the Chuck Tingle thing. I do have friends who we will absolutely get together at a convention and ignore everything else going there and play the Chuck Tingle game. I, I want to play it so bad. I was actually, shout out to myself, I guess. I was on Chuck Tingle's podcast a couple of weeks ago, and I don't want to, I'm, I'm done. I'm done living. Like, I've peaked and it's over. This year I did an Adventure Zone event, and I talked to Chuck Tingle. I'm done. I quit life. Damn, Lauren's a ghost now, everybody. This, <laughs> part, this dynamic just changed. This podcast is very haunted. We're gonna talk a lot about a lot more about classic She-Ra now, and somehow more about Bruce Springsteen because Lauren is gone. Uh, before we move on to She-Ra, Jenny, I also wanted to talk to you about uh, you. Kind of professionally, in addition to role playing, have a lot of experience with convention organizing. Is that right? That is right. I I've been doing that for. Five, six, seven, I don't know, number of years, greater than five. Um, And I kind of got into it on accident, but since then I am on the board for two charity conventions, one that I run a very large section of in Tennessee every year, and then another here in Illinois, actually, because I can't say no. I don't Mm. know how to. What are the names of those events? Because my folks are in Tennessee. Oh, nice. Um, The one in Tennessee is um, near Knoxville. It's called Save Versus Hunger. We raise money for the Second Harvest Food Bank. And the one here in Illinois is in Utica. And it's called the D8 Summit. And we raise money for the Illinois Peds. 
um, which is a lovely organization that helps with rural homelessness. That's so cool. And then the biggest one that I do, I am the role play director for MomoCon down in Atlanta, Georgia, which has like 50,000 guests and it's a little bit surreal still. I know MomoCon. I haven't had the pleasure of going, but I've wanted to go to that for many years. Yeah, we get a lot of uh, voice actors and stuff down there, and so it's it's pretty popular. I wonder if we'll have any of the Shira people there this year. Have you had Mary Elizabeth McGlynn before? Shout out to last <laughs> week's episode. I don't know. I don't really get to leave my ballroom. Oh yeah. Well, that's not true. Actually, I have. I have. Finally, last year, I got to leave the ballroom, and I was really worried the entire time. Oh. But I had enough staff to where I could go. And I was like, okay, I'm going. Well, if you could have any Shira voice actor, which would you pick? This is also market research for Lauren Ooh. and I. Yes. That is a good question. Okay. I really like the, um, well, the voice actor that does Scorpia has always been one of my favorite. And I'm super thrilled with the voice actor that does Double Trouble this season. That has been one of my favorite additions. I was just looking at Jacob Tobias' Twitter on the way here. Their Twitter is out of control, and I'm sure everyone listening to this show already knows that. I don't even, I don't even have other tweets happening in my feed anymore. Once I started following Jacob Tobias, it got overrun. (laughs) Yeah, they they do post. A lot. I followed, and then I believe I unfollowed for that reason. (laughs) (laughs) I have some friends where I have to block their retweets because, like, they retweet something every five minutes, and it's just too much. Yeah. Sorry, friends. I'm my time is precious. I don't think it's me. But she got me on the counter. Wasn't me. Saw me kissing on the sofa. Wasn't me. I even had her in the shower. Wasn't me. She even got me on camera. Yeah, so today we're talking about the episode Flutterina. Let's do a quick recap. So, Adora, Bo, Swiftwind, feeling pretty good. They've just uh, freed the village of, now I'm not going to get it right, Eberron or Elber- Elberon? Elberon. They freed the village of Elberon, not the D&D location. Uh, <laughs> and our, a party is being thrown for them. And Adora and Bo are kind of like, finally starting to enjoy and buy into like their own press, so to speak. But... Uh, wouldn't you know it, the Horde has a plan, which we don't really learn the scope of until the end of the episode. But essentially, they send out a robot drone thing to distract Shira. Then they capture everyone at the party, including Bo, uh, except for this young Elberonian Flutterina, who is like majorly fangirling over them. And she helps Shira rescue the villagers and Bo. And, uh, and then she makes this, like, impassioned plea to join the rebellion, even though she's just a little girl. But, uh-oh, it turns out that Flutterina is actually double trouble. Ooh. Uh-oh. <laughs> I'm really glad they showed that to us at the end because I thought it was so obvious and they were laying it on so thick that if they let it be, like, a quote-unquote mystery any longer, I would have hated it. Okay, well, this is... Also, like, the fact that Flutterina was in the opening credits and double trouble wasn't, I was like... I think we were watching the episode before that, and I'm like, who is that? Yeah, they put Flutterina in the spread of heroes. So, Lauren, what you're saying makes – that's one of my key questions for you all. At what point in the episode did you grok that Flutterina was double trouble? Because I'm afraid that my answer is quite embarrassing. <laughs> if I'm honest, I was suspicious right away when the, like, defenseless, innocent baby child was – the only survivor of this crazy, like, kidnapping or massacre. I was like, well, that's it. Mm. 
And so I'm, I'm assuming your answer is way later than that. Much, much longer. <laughs> um, on their walk back to Whispering Woods, I started to suspect because I'm like, wait, they're taking her to the sanctum. And then when it cuts to Hordak saying, did it work? I'm like, wait a minute. I know. And then <laughs> oh, like no. five seconds later, they're like, they show the, the, the eye flash. Oh, boy. Which I got to say, Lauren, in previous seasons, you've talked about how the uh, sometimes the show kind of spams certain things like Glimmer running out of teleportation juice or, or whatever. I feel like ending scenes with like double trouble mugging to the camera and then the eyes blinking the wrong way is like a big trend this season. It is. They spam it. And I noticed that. I do wonder if it's for kids. Yeah, I think so, it's too. It's really like remind kids. I know your object permanence is a little shaky. <laughs> So what do we think of this plan? We're just getting into the into the meat of the episode here. So my big question that I changed my mind about having just watched the episode again like five minutes ago is when does the horde strike? So the first time I watched this, I really took everything at face value. Like the city was in fact liberated and then the horde came back for a second run I assumed that Flutterina was a real character, That's like a real of, princess yeah. or something, and was either kidnapped or even killed and replaced by Double Trouble in that moment. However, watching it again and seeing how the plan is seated like right at the top of the episode, is the entire liberation fake? Like, did they give up the city on purpose knowing that they were going to infiltrate in this way? Because oh, Catra yeah. says something about like you're you shouldn't think about the city you should think about what it can do for you and so that makes me think you might be right the whole Lauren. thing yeah. yeah whole thing was a setup i hadn't actually thought of that i do i do still wonder though if flutterina is real part of me uh thinks that she must be because she's hanging out with the mayor but then it's like well the mayor of like lori lightfoot doesn't know who i am <laughs> if there was like a double of me <laughs> Pretending to be me, Lori wouldn't think twice, probably. Well, Alberon's a little bit smaller than Chicago, too. That's true. Well, not even that if it's a double of you or not. It's did you exist at all yeah, in the first place? Correct. So is this kid an invention? <laughs> Who are their parents? Flutterina seems very much like a anime style character, like yes. in the way she fangirls out. Uh, I I also feel like. Uh, there's an interesting tell in how poorly she overacts when she's trying to, like, trick the Horde Troopers into following her. Yes. Oh, no, I'm caught. Yeah, because acting is their big thing. Yeah, and it it is subpar acting in that one. <laughs> Pointedly subpar. <laughs> yeah, I, I think also a couple episodes ago, Rebecca Goldberg mentioned that there is going to be a really fun transformation sequence yes. where a character would see She-Ra transformed. This is clearly... That one. Yes, that is the reference. And I can't tell, is that especially good acting on Double Trouble's part? Or is uh, are they, like, genuinely amazed at this transform? I, I would say good acting in the sense that She-Ra's hubris and overconfidence is kind of her downfall in this entire episode. And Double Trouble intentionally knows to play into that. Like, everyone at the party loves you. They made a cake of you. I love you, too. Like, just leaning into that energy. I think it's an intentional ploy. Can you believe this? All of this is for us. People like us. But uh, we told Glimmer we wouldn't stay long. I mean, but we have to stay. 
it would be rude not to, right? Right, we'll just stay for a minute and then meat cake! There's a meat cake! Before we get too far ahead of what you said earlier, I wanted to talk a little bit about Flood Arena in the 80s. Something I said to you the first time we watched this episode was that I'm wondering if people are projecting their memory of the 80s Flood Arena onto this one and thus allowing her to be a good guy or assuming she's a good guy. And maybe that even happened to you. You wanted Flood Arena to be a positive influence. Which is why I found out way too late. I figured it out, yeah. So who was Flutterina in the original? According to Grayskull Wiki, Flutterina is a character from the 1986 animated series Shiro Princess of Power. She's a member of the Great Rebellion. Before becoming a freedom fighter, she was a poor servant girl known as Small One, working at Castle Condor in the Sand Valley. After Shiro brought her to the Crystal Castle, uh, she was transformed into Flutterina via a magical cocoon. She could hover and fly and possess large, beautiful butterfly wings that were powerful enough to disperse enemies when she beat them at full power. In Dire Straits, she could transform her entire body into a butterfly to escape the horde. She could also control butterflies of all kinds, using them as messengers and spies. She was in uh, five episodes total, uh, plus the Christmas special. In two of them, she didn't speak, and in one, she had one line. So it sounds like she was completely a good guy in the original series then. Yeah, totally a good guy and also kind of under the radar. So uh, not really, I think, a princess. In keeping with this whole, like, the new toy line, the collector's toy line gives weird names to characters for no reason. Apparently her other alias is Abby Denote. D E dash, or I'm sorry, D E apostrophe N O T E. I don't even have a response to that. Like, I can't even come up with a joke. I just hate it so much that I'm stuck here. <laughs> well, anyway, Flutterina, or as I call her, Abby. <laughs> Abby Denote, my homegirl. <laughs> That's like a character in a like a noir novel or a Babysitters Club book. Yeah, <laughs> that was what it reminded me of. But yeah, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot on Flutterina. I know that she had a toy. Yeah, uh, I remember seeing the toy in Chicago at like Toy Du Jour or something, and the Christmas special. Yeah, she's uh, in the Christmas special. Her and Pika Blue. I was seeing, I think, for the first time when we watched that together. They're helping decorate. Yeah, that that's right. Toy is kind of hideous. <laughs> All right, judgy. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just the colors are just like so clashing in my eyes. Yeah, I think Tinkerbell is definitely a design uh, influence here. Not so much in the, well, maybe a little bit in the new show in different ways. Well, all of these characters are sort of fairy looking in the the, the Elberonians. Also, the <laughs> the really muscular. I, I know the fandom has talked this this part to death already, but the really muscular woman, like holding on to Adora and hugging her, the look on Adora's face makes me think that Adora really likes it. Like. Really likes it. I mean, it's just like an extension of her fascination with Huntara. Right? Yeah, she has a type, right? She does. <laughs> she was absolutely fascinated by those like bulging muscles right in her face. She was into that. So my, I mean, pretty obvious headcanon is that Adora is a lesbian. Um, I don't think that's hidden at all. No. But I did laugh in this episode because at one point Shira says, "Enjoy the festivities," and does the double finger guns, and. Uh, that is a beloved meme of the bisexual community that bisexual people can neither sit in chairs properly uh, 
nor resist doing like awkward hand gestures like the finger guns. Oh my God. And so now I'm wondering if that was like intentional bias signaling because I know our friends at DreamWorks are like hip to this stuff. I do the finger guns. And I sit badly in chairs. What can I say? <laughs> I, as, a, as the straight in this room, I also do the finger guns. I don't know what that says about me. Maybe I'm just awkward. You're hanging around a lot of bisexual people. Picking, I mean, picking up on it. Truth. That's not wrong. Shira, you saved us. Mm. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's my job. It's what I do. It's, so it's not a big deal at all. Diving right into identity, do we think Double Trouble named themselves? Double Trouble's the weirdest name in the show in that it's not really a name but a concept. And given that they're um, non-binary, I just had to wonder if maybe that's what they call themselves. I feel like it absolutely has to be. And we don't really have any backstory at all coming into this. Double Trouble has just showed up so far. So, like... Where did they come from? Who were they before? Like, since when are shapeshifters a thing? And it's so, like, if you can make your identity whatever you want, then why not choose your own name? Hordak's response, by the way, to Double Trouble is so incredible. He's like, oh, a shapeshifter, sweet. But then, like, don't ever deceive <laughs> me again. I love it. It's a li- Yeah, it's a little bit more of a nuanced reaction than I expected. Like when Catra is really harassing him and then it's revealed that it's not Catra at all, I expected him to blow up a lot more. And he was just like, ah, oh, kick ass, and that's it. Yeah, but to your question, I think, I think yeah, you must be right. Uh, although a lot of the na- – this show kind of requires you to like – look the other way about a lot of names because they're so on point. It's like such a marketing lingo thing. But Double Trouble is the most far out of all of them. Yeah, granted, Double Trouble, I believe, is just another holdover name from the 80s line of toys and merchandise. Yeah, have we talked about that? No. Double Trouble was basically the, um, in the original, the lady counterpart of Manny Faces, whose gimmick was that you could turn his face and he had three faces. I read a wonderful article. I'm like, it was BuzzFeed or something. (sighs) About Double Trouble because she only had two faces and it was like, <laughs> just, just like how women only earn 80% of what men oh, earn. No. I guess women action figures can only deceive 66% of what men can. <laughs> I thought it was just going to be a joke about all women being two-faced or something. I'm glad it was more feminist than that. No, yeah, it was it was very pointed. Um, but yeah, I, I think uh, you're right. There's no... I mean, to this point, maybe in the whole season, who knows? Uh, there's no backstory for Double Trouble, and that's really fascinating. No, I do think this design is a big glow up, though, from the previous. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, Double Trouble's a great character. I was reading some fan reactions because I'm, uh, I torture myself, and one person who's kind of been a negative voice really impressed me because. He said something like, oh, I was really n- worried when they kept talking about the actor's pronouns, but, like, Double Trouble ended up being my favorite character in the season. And I thought, oh, maybe there is hope for some people after all. Kind of. Yeah, it sucks that there needs to be, like, approving of the self to earn value, but it's not the first time we've heard about people being won over. So I think that's great. Yeah, I agree. Uh, speaking of what's going on in the Horde, though, man, this is really Catra's, like, big break episode. Well, she's having nightmares from the beginning, and so, I mean, this is one of the overall themes of this season, but this is, I think, the first time we really see it, that winning is not actually giving her the happiness that she insisted it would. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, yeah, she's having some major regrets there. But she's, as always, too stubborn to admit it. And she's so mean to poor Emily. And then at She the... hits Emily. She does a hit. Yeah. No hitting. But then at the end of the episode... Now, I think how you read this depends on how you feel about Catra and Scorpia. But she is so cruel to Scorpia and just straight up says, like, you're being a creep. Like, why do you always shadow me? We're not friends. Get away from me. Yeah, yeah. keep away from me. I actually just got a tweet two hours ago uh, from Meg at Book Quote Girl. And Meg actually said, I'm catching up on your podcast. I'm so glad you noted how cruel Catra was in season three, episode three. And that's a reference back to Crimson Waste. And Meg says, watching her be so awful and nihilistic was uncomfortable, to say the least. One more reason I'm glad they didn't stay in the Crimson Waste. And this kind of ties into that. I am such a... Catra is an abuser and doesn't deserve the attention and affection she gets type of fan. And here we see her mistreating Scorpia a full season later. Again, no spoilies, but I hope Scorpia <laughs> takes matters into her own hands very soon. Mistreating to a relationship-ending degree, it seems. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely is Scorpia's being pushed away very much I mean much like she was really doing Adora in the earlier seasons she's kind of rethinking how much she values that relationship with Catra well some I I think Scorpia continues to value it I think Scorpia will always value their relationship but if someone hurts you over and over and over and they don't change it but they still want you around it's toxic you gotta get out the visuals of that Catra Scorpia scene are so gorgeous though like the fright zone outcropping against like the moon but the like red uh, the red sky is so lovely and the way that the moon like frames the solo character is really really beautiful so I agree a lot of the backgrounds in this episode are gorgeous the party has like murals in the background of the heroes a lot of attention was put into like painting this one really wanted to like make it my phone background There you are. Are you okay? Look, don't worry about all that Adora stuff. I'm here and there's nothing the two of us can't fix. Because that's what friends are for. I'm sure Hordak will understand. Oh, and if Entraptor were here, maybe we could- Stop it! Stop badgering me. Stop hovering around me. Just back off. I don't need to explain myself to you. We are not friends. Uh, We're seeing Glimmer's FOMO again. Fear of missing out in a big way. And I actually really feel for her because um, Swiftwind seems to be the one who has taken her place in the best friend squad. Mm. I would be burnt too, Glimmer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I definitely was feeling a lot of of empathy for Glimmer there, especially since Swiftwind, just in his words, kicks things. So... Um, not quite as much of a value-added teammate. I love the braiding hair gags with Swiftwind. I thought those were it adorable. It was. It made me laugh in the way that, like, I knew that if I were watching this and I was five, I'd be like, a butt, a horse butt. Yeah, so funny. Best joke of the show. I'm glad, I'm glad that that kind of humor has a home here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I do think there's kind of a moral to this episode in as much as, like, 
Adora and Bo and Swiftwind to a point learn that like they shouldn't believe their own hype and they still need to be on guard. I, the way Adora delivered that at the message at the end was almost like looky style in the 80s series. I thought yeah. that was pretty interesting because this is there's not a lot of episodes that are so didactic, I feel like, in this show. No, and are you either of you familiar with the Disney movie Mulan yes. or like the main beats of it anyway? Yes. One of my favorite movie moments or Disney moments, I guess I should say, is uh, during the song Girl Worth Fighting For and all of the men are like jubilantly marching and singing and they're going to war, but you wouldn't know it because they're just talking about the ladies and rocking out. And the song doesn't get to finish because just as it's about to, they round a corner and see a town that's just been leveled by the Huns. It's red, it's bloody, it's smoking, it's obliterated. And it takes you from just one colorful, joyous mood right down into a different one. And I feel this episode slams you in that exact same way. It does teach you that that lesson. Yeah. Like, I mean, not to be pessimistic, but any any good day can go south if you're not careful, I suppose. There was one thing in this episode that kind of threw me, and it's the the cannons, both as, like, it, it almost is like a joke about PTSD that, like, the occupied woman and then Katra are both, like, startled by these loud cannons, and, like, the score almost plays it as, like, oh, that's cute and funny. Uh, and then they use the cannon in the climax, but not in a way that calls that back. Yeah, like I expected I, the PTSD thing to pay off differently. Right. Like you think even by the rule of threes, like, well, this is the third time they're using it, so it must mean something. I do think the use of the cannon is pretty clever where they like use the confetti it shoots to obscure the targeting sensors of the Terminator thing drones. Yeah, a really cool idea. I definitely narratively though was expecting it to like send Catra back into her nightmares or something. Yeah, but on this, at the, by the same token, it's like I don't know if I want to traumatize my characters like that. I think so, they already are though. Yeah, that's fair. So another canon-related comment though is that Scorpia calls the confetti cut-up pieces of paper, and she's like, "I know it's just cut-up pieces of paper, but isn't it so much fun?" And I realized. That might just be a reverence to the fact that they don't know what parties are. Like, they don't yeah. have the word for confetti or an understanding of why that tool would even be. I mean, Adora plays that out, too, where we see she doesn't really understand what why this village is, like, celebrating her. She doesn't expect, like, the party to be an actual party. She's like, oh, we're going to have, like, a dinner. There's going to be food, and they're going to be like, thank you. And then it's like... A party, and she's just so amazed. The banners, the cake, the... Yeah, I also think they were toning that down for Glimmer's sake, though. Like, it's just a dinner. Yeah, true, but I think when she walks into the room, she's, like, blown away by what it is. Oh, yeah, especially the the, the me cake. Yeah. Which, if anyone wants to make that for my birthday, uh, would love it. I mean, the other new thing in the episode that I really enjoyed was... Um, the regenerating robots. That was oh, yeah. that was a big surprise for them at the beginning, and it kind of really um, called back to the beginning of it when he was trying to when Hordak was trying to go through all of the research that Entrapta had done, and it's just like even though she wasn't there anymore, she'd made all those advancements and like continually haunting Catra. Oh, yeah. The um, baby talk boy says, Entrapta, Entrapta. He's such a little jerk. Oh, yeah. Am's being a little <laughs> punk in this episode, <laughs> like, for sure. 
Speaking of the robots, um, I noted Amy Carrero's acting at the moment when they forget that the robots can regenerate. And the acting and the animation, it's so perfect. It was my favorite moment in this episode. We forgot the robots regenerated. Yeah. Uh, I just don't think that line delivery or that animation would have been achievable in the original cartoon. No way. It would have been like, <laughs> we forgot the robots regenerate. <laughs> we forgot the robots regenerate. <laughs> They're they're regaining their forms. What evil machines. We forgot the robots regenerate. (laughs) Scorpia, you're back. How's how's Queens? Hey. It's great. It's really difficult to get a cab. Uh, It's not a good accent. I'm never doing it again. (laughs) Doubling you, I I truly, that is my favorite part of the episode as well. I I LOL'd at that probably two or three times because I watched it thrice now. Yeah, I, I watched it twice today, um, and it got me both times. I was like, <laughs> that's, a, that's a me thing. I would do that. I'd be like, <laughs> oh, yep, yeah, nope, that's still true. Still true. It would be so wild if, if I, it's not even possible because Linda Gary has passed, but if you could assemble the original cast to read one of these episodes and vice versa. Unfortunately, when you are missing one of the original cast, you're missing like a, a quarter third of, of the, the characters. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's not actually funny. I'm sorry. No. <laughs> I'm sorry, Linda. Uh, no, it's, ex- it's it's an extraordinary talent to do that many voices on one show. Yeah, seriously. I don't want to shortchange that in any way. Absolutely. But it would be really neat to see a side-by-side comparison. They're changing into other forms. What evil robots? Very evil. And very dangerous. Before we go, I'd like to possibly set this episode just at a political point in time. Did anyone watch the Democratic debates? I read about them. I did. I read the hot takes after because I was actually in class. I Yeah, I read some some hot takes on Twitter. Uh, Some extra hot takes. Real spicy. (laughs) (laughs) My my read retroactively seems to be I... uh, I'm, I'm with Bernie more on foreign policy, but I'm with Warren more on her acknowledgement of uh, just student loan debt and the struggle of people our age financially. And I read that uh, Yang barely got any time at all. And I'm actually becoming kind of a Yang gang member ever since uh, I was out a couple of weeks ago seeing my partner in a show and someone with a Yang hat came up to basically like, tell me about yang <laughs> and, and that worked it it only worked in the sense that now i notice how little time they give him mm. like they asked him two questions or something one was about gun control and i guess that's my main critique of these debates now is i really want more people to leave even if it is yang nobody's getting to run out in front and really shine because so many people still need a turn. I'm glad they're all out there. I'm glad they all exist. But Joe Biden, you can feel free to leave whenever you want. I think that was one of my favorite things, too, not actually of the debate, but after when the um, mayor of, oh, God, whatever the town in Florida is, the guy that nobody even knew was running, officially declared that he dropped out and everyone was like, who? (laughs) Hello, goodbye. Yeah, there's a lot of who's in this race, so uh, which has been true for the last two seasons of this podcast. So we'll see what uh, what the next few weeks bring. Probably not much, actually. He's not going to become president, but if Mayor Pete becomes president, do we have to call him Mayor President Pete? 
like Dr. <laughs> Mrs. The Monarch. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm Coach President Teddy Roosevelt, Steve. <laughs> I've been rewatching Big Mouth. Uh, let's do a podcast about that next. I could just talk about Netflix animation endlessly. I'm sure Netflix would love that. I would love to keep being introduced to new shows as long as I can keep introducing you to Kool Aid Man videos. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a deal. It's a good trade. Good trade. Hey, what are you guys up to? You play baseball? We'd often get visited by former President Theodore Roosevelt, who was retired and looking for shit to do. Hold on. I'm sorry. Teddy Roosevelt, the president, watched you play baseball? It's true. Jujulet. Oh, we're okay, President Roosevelt. Actually, you can call me Coach President Teddy Roosevelt, Steve. Did you guys hear they're going to put my face on a mountain? So. Well, before we wrap, uh, Ginny, thanks for joining us. So of course. Thanks for having me. How can people find you, like on the internet, not in Not person. your home. Yeah. Well, you find me in real life by stalking Eric, and I live very near there. Um, weird. Don't, don't look up where I live, please. <laughs> I'm kidding. Please, please, please don't do that. No doxing. Please don't do that. We're very nice people. Um, but no, you can find me on the internet. Um, I try to keep it pretty simple. It's Jenny Loveday, G-I-N-N-Y-L-O-V-E-D-A-Y. Uh, that's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and what are the other social medias? Snapchat. Yeah, no, not Snapchat. You make it any? I don't want anyone TikToks that I can watch. <laughs> Spotify playlist. MySpace. <laughs> uh, no, you know what? MySpace. Friendster. MySpace has my maiden name. That was it was long ago, mm. so no, no go there. But yeah, all the uh, all the important and relevant ones. It's uh, just keep it simple, nice, straightforward. Um, you can find my podcast um, with episodes from like super long ago. If you want to catch up on my life story, uh, it's the D and D Roundtable, part of the Tome Show, and uh, you can find us on the Instagram and oh, no wait yes Instagram and Twitter at the D&D Roundtable. And so that's, that's me and my friends and all of the horn I have to toot there. Isn't it wild how by listening to podcasts that have nothing to do with us as people, you could put together a pretty good life story for, I mean, at least Lauren, but probably me too. Oh, definitely Definitely you. me in the last few, few months, yeah. I find, yeah, I definitely find that to be true. Any of my friends who have podcasts, like I listen to their podcasts and I'm like, I have learned so much about you. Not to be creepy, but I know a lot about you now. Well, we hope you like what you've heard. Um, <laughs> if you stick around after the credits, I, I changed my mind. I will give you my address, so definitely listen after the credits for that sweet <laughs> stocking info. Am I lying? Am I telling the truth? Who knows? Who knows? Better wait through the outro to find uh, out. Better wait. <laughs> Bye. Listen to your Thanks for listening to She-Ra, Progressive of Power. If you like our show, you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We super appreciate it. You can also send in any feedback you have to our email address, progressiveofpower at gmail.com, or to our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash progressiveofpower. I'm not giving you my address, you freaks. I don't like that one. No.